So I'm going to ask a question. I hope you'll respond with, with an honest answer. And uh, I wonder today, how many of you, when you were growing up, you believed in Santa Claus? Can you respond this way? Good, that's a lot of you. Almost all of you. Very good. You can put your hands down. How many of you today, you still believe in Santa Claus? A few of you. Good. Very good. This is good to know. I'll try to amend my speech in such a way that I won't let the proverbial cat out of the Christmas bag, okay? And uh, yet, uh, I, I know what it is to be raised in a home where I was taught not to believe in the big guy in the red suit. You see how I said that to kind of help any ears that might be sensitive today? And uh, it wasn't a religious issue in our home. My dad would always say with a gleam in his eye, I don't want someone else getting credit for money I spent. That was my dad's philosophy, all right? It was just purely a financial thing. But uh, there was a big part of me that wanted desperately to believe. And of course, you can't escape Santa around Christmas time. He's everywhere. All the Christmas movies, the music, the songs, and, and all of it. And I really wanted to believe in Santa Claus. But my heart, when I was a kid, is kind of similar to my heart now. It's a little bit jaded and a little cynical, okay? And so I thought, I really want to believe, but I just, I don't know if I can believe. And I know I wasn't the first mind to ponder the deep, deep questions of Christmas, but I can remember as a boy thinking, how could he possibly get to everybody's house on the same night, you know? And uh, I, I was always a deep thinker, even as a young boy, and I, I thought that. And uh, of course, a variety of answers have been given, whether you've seen Miracle on 34th Street or uh, uh, Santa Claus with Tim Allen, they, they all offer their reasons as to how that could happen. Uh, you, you know, the time-space continuum freezes when he gets on a sleigh, that was one offer suggested. Uh, uh, just the, the time change, if you travel quick enough, you can kind of stay in one space of time, and then of course, not everyone celebrates Christmas, so <laughs> some have suggested that he could forego going to those homes and and I would hear these answers given and I desperately wanted to believe so these answers would come in and and I would think and it just didn't quite make perfect sense but I didn't want to explore too deeply for fear it would affect my ability to believe and so I would just kind of suspend my disbelief for a moment so I could really enjoy Christmas time but in the course of time what happened is my doubts grew and my doubts grew into disbelief and where at one time I would have said, I believe, I had to come to another time where I said, you know, I'm not so sure anymore. And I'm afraid that that analogy is how a lot of people in our world today view Christmas. Once upon a time they were told of a, of a baby that was born of a virgin and it, and it was a beautiful story. And they thought, I want to believe, but there was a lot of the, the undercurrent, the backstory they weren't familiar with. And, and they thought, you know, if I really dig into the weeds here, if I really get into the minutiae of the Christmas story, I'm not sure that it could stand up to the scrutiny that I would bring. I think a lot of us today, if we were to look at kind of a classic image of a nativity scene, if we were to really think of that and think through that, it, it really is quite a story. And I think most of us could look at a, at a portrait of that and we could think, you know, I can believe a baby was born. That certainly makes, makes sense. I can believe that. I think most of us would even say, I could even imagine a baby being born in a, in a barn. I could see how that would happen, especially kind of at that time frame of history. I could, I could see how that would make sense. And maybe we would think, you know, I can imagine as I look at a nativity scene, the parents there, that makes sense. The shepherds and animals, I can, I can even buy into that. But then we, we think of the backstory and how did they get to this place and what did it all mean? And, and, and I want you to know today that the real meaning of Christmas can stand up to the scrutiny that any of us can bring. Christmas can answer the tough questions that will allow it to be the time of encouragement and meaning that God would have for it to be. And many of you know we're involved in a study right now we're just calling the miracles of Christmas. Last week we 
talked about the meaning of Christmas and how Jesus Christ brings meaning to our life that leads us to live for Him. It, it may not make sense all of the time to our way of thinking, but as God's love is working in us, it's going to lead us to, to do things. And, and today I want to talk not about the meaning of Christmas necessarily, but the means of Christmas, the means of His coming. What was God teaching us in the way that God the Son was born and i believe we can really be helped by this study today and if your bibles are open there i'd invite you to join me in standing if you would for the reading of god's word if you're glad you came to church say amen, amen. and that uh, we've had a fantastic day family join and uh, uh, a great first service and i know today that we're going to be blessed in this time of study as well matthew chapter one let's begin reading in verse 18 the bible says now the birth of jesus christ was on this wise when as his mother mary was espoused to Joseph before they came together. She was found with child of the Holy Ghost. Then Joseph, her husband, being a just man and not willing to make her a public example, was minded to put her away privily or privately. But while he thought on these things, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared unto him in a dream, saying, Joseph, thou son of David, fear not to take unto thee Mary thy wife, for that which is conceived in her is of the Holy Ghost. And she shall bring forth a son, and thou shalt call his name Jesus. For he shall save his people from their sins. Now all this was done, that it might be fulfilled, which was spoken of the Lord by the prophet, saying, and I'm going to read a final verse together with us, but I want you to take note of Jesus, that uh, the Bible tells us that uh, Jesus was to come, and he was to be the fulfillment of prophecy. The Bible speaks there of, of fulfilling what the prophets had said. Jesus, the Bible tells us, came to save people from their sins. In Luke 2, as Jesus is introduced, he's introduced as the Savior of the world. So let's make no mistake about who it is that the Bible shares with us that Jesus is. He's God the Son. He's been born of a virgin for the purpose of providing the way of spiritual salvation and that he was prophesied of in old time. Let's read verse 23 together, which is the prophecy that is being referred to here. Behold, a virgin shall be with child and shall bring forth a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which being interpreted is God with us. And so Jesus is our Savior, and he literally is God with us us. I'm looking forward to getting into this passage with you today. The message I'll bring this morning is a message that I would categorize as exceedingly doctrinal. Now doctrine's a Bible word and the word doctrine just means taught truth and we live in an era where people would tell pastors like me if you really want to appeal to people you need to preach less doctrine. And uh, you need to uh, devalue doctrine and just elevate, let's just all uh, get along uh, regardless of what our beliefs are. And I think we should get along and be friendly I'm for all of that. But there is a glue that holds a church together. It's doctrine. It's what we believe. We're here from all kinds of different backgrounds. We've got different stories. And what brought us to this place today is a, is a common faith or at least an interest in coming to understand what it is we believe. And today I want to bring a message that highlights really an important factor that without which we lose Christmas. And it's the virgin birth of Jesus Christ. 
Now, at first glance, we might hear something like that and think, you know, I, I don't know how relevant that would be to my marriage or help me raise my kids or any of the rest of it. And I, I've got to tell you today, it's a great, great message that God gives us through the way that Jesus was born, and it helps us in a variety of ways. So let's have open hearts and eager minds, and I think we'll be encouraged today. Our Father, thank you that you are a God of love. We're thankful for who you are, for that which you've done. Bless and use this service today, we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you so much. You may be seated. 2,000 years ago in a small town about seven miles outside of Jerusalem, a baby was born. Mary, his mother, and her husband Joseph had traveled from their home in Nazareth, which was about 90 miles to the north, and, and they arrived here not for any reason of their choosing, they were required under the system of government they had to travel back to the home of, of Joseph's uh, ancestors so they could participate in a census for Rome, who was the power of the day, and so they could pay their taxes. Not a trip they wanted to take. In fact, they tell us that in the shape Mary was in, it's, it's probable that this journey would have taken them about a week. It was uncomfortable. It was, it was, it was not a, a luxury trip in any sense of the word. And then they arrive in Bethlehem. And, and if you're familiar at all with the narrative of the Christmas story, you know that they arrived and the first thing they learn is there's no place to stay. They meet a man who was an innkeeper. He uh, uh, had rooms that he would rent out to passerbys. And as they came, he said, I, I've got no place for you here. And we often paint that man as kind of a miser he wasn't willing to share but the fact is he didn't have any rooms to give up he actually did the kindest thing he could do in that situation he said guys i'm sorry i don't have any space at all however i, I i've got a barn here and you're you're welcome to that and so they went to the barn and we know that that night mary gave birth to jesus christ I think all parents have great hopes and desires and prayers and dreams and ambitions for their children. We hope that they'll live a life of meaning, they'll make an impact in their time and in their space, that they'll be an influence in, in their generation. But Jesus Christ, being God the Son, He literally changed the world. He literally is the dividing line in human history. When we say, for example, it's the year 2018, the question could be asked, 2018 from what? From the birth of Jesus. I mean, he literally changed the world and the ramification of his birth. It touched his time, but it's still working in our world today. It, it has great meaning. And I want you to know that, that throughout the Bible, including the Old Testament, the Bible speaks of the importance of this doctrine we call the virgin birth of Jesus Christ. I've read of it here in the New Testament, but back in the Old Testament, we find that the prophets announced that a virgin would conceive, and those words don't go together in our minds. Virginity and conception aren't words that go together. And the Bible tells us that Jesus would be God with us and that he would provide spiritual salvation. And again, as we think of this expression, born of a virgin, I, I think we could think, you know, I understand it's part of the story. I also know that it's impossible and sometimes in our haste, just to get on with the season, we'll think, you know, I don't, I don't know that I want to wrestle with something like that. I'll just, I'll just move on. I'll, I'll move forward from here. But friends, if we miss the meaning of the way that Jesus was born, we're going to miss the actual meaning of Christmas. In fact, if we did not understand or believe or accept the virgin birth of Jesus Christ, we would have to conclude that Mary was very different than we think of her today. 
We'd have to come to understand that that would mean that Mary and Joseph were immoral and promiscuous. And, and, and we would have to understand that Jesus then, as he lived his life, he wasn't a good man at all if he was not born of a virgin. He would had to have been either totally crazy or he would have been a complete liar because Jesus claimed his entire life to be the Son of God. But 33 years after Jesus was born, he was crucified on an old rugged cross. He was laid in a tomb. Three days later, he rose again from the dead to validate that he is indeed God the Son and that he indeed was born of a virgin. In a sense, the life of Jesus, it is bookended with events that testify and prophesy to the reality that Jesus is God and that he was born of a virgin. And that fact contains some incredible lessons for us that I don't want us to miss as we're heading into this Christmas season. If you have your notes nearby, there are many verses I'll reference this morning, and I want you to be able to see those. I want us to see one lesson that the virgin birth of Jesus teaches. It teaches us this. God always keeps his word. He always keeps his word. In fact, in the very beginning of Scripture, we find a promise from God that he would come and and, uh, that he would be born of a virgin. Back in Genesis, the first book of the Old Testament, chapter 3, we find the first prophecy that pertains to Christmas. And the Bible says in this verse, verse 15, And I will put enmity between thee and the woman, and between thy seed and her seed, and it shall bruise thy head, and thou shalt bruise his heel. That's an incredible verse. I'd love to get into it and let you know all the amazing things that are happening there. But but we find a reference here to enmity between thy seed and her seed. And and God there is looking forward to the time when Jesus would be born. Yet as I read that, I have to take note of something. Much could be said of that verse, but biologically speaking, the Bible speaks of her seed. And we know that the seed doesn't come from the woman. I mean, I'm not a medical doctor, but I did go to junior high at least. And, and, and we all learn in basic uh, biology that, that that's not how it works. And so even in the very beginning of God's word, as the prophecies are beginning to come out and, and God is giving clues and insights in addition to prophecies, he's letting us know, hey, this is going to be different than anything you've ever seen before. About 700 years before the birth of Jesus Christ, Isaiah, the prophet of God, wrote these words in Isaiah 7, 14. And they're the words that were also quoted in Matthew chapter 1 in our reading today. Isaiah said, the Lord, therefore the Lord himself shall give you a sign. Behold, a virgin shall conceive and bear a son and shall call his name Emmanuel. In the beginning of the Old Testament, throughout the Old Testament, and then even into the New Testament, we find testimony by way of the harmony of the writers of the New Testament uh, of the way that Jesus was born. Matthew and Luke, they each share a record independent of each other that speak of the same truths. For example, in Matthew's gospel, the genealogy of Joseph is given. Now, I've got to tell you, I love the Word of God. I believe the Word of God to be true. Uh, I read the Bible daily. But there are some pages in the Word of God that are less interesting to me than other pages of the Word of God. I'll give you an example of what I mean by that. This week, in just my devotional Bible reading, I had to make it through a lot of pages that were just a list of names. And it was hard names, like names I couldn't pronounce for you, you know? And it would say things like, this guy begat this guy, and this guy begat this guy. And begat, we know, is an old word to say this guy had this guy as a son. And then that son went on to have this guy. That was his son. And, and this one begat that one, begat that one, begat that one. And in the Bible times, as they'd give the lineage, as they'd give the genealogy, it was, it was common for it to be father to son, father to son, father to son. This guy begat this guy. And so in Matthew's gospel, as the genealogy of Joseph is given, we read this. And Jacob begat Joseph 
the husband of Mary, of whom was born Jesus, who is called Christ. Now, Matthew, I mean, Matthew did double backflips through hoops to make a point that Joseph was not the father of Jesus Christ. He said Jacob had a son. His name was Joseph. And Joseph, this is where he would have said, had a son, but that's not what he said. He said Joseph had a wife. Her name was Mary. And it was through Mary that Jesus was born, who is the Christ, which is the promised one of God He went to great lengths to let us know Joseph was not the biological father of Jesus. In Luke's gospel, we see Luke going to similar lengths to let us know of the virgin birth of Jesus. There was a time in the life of Jesus when he was a young boy. His parents were at the temple. It was time to go. They're getting ready to travel back home, and they are talking. They're like, hey, where's Jesus? They haven't seen Jesus. Have any of you lost a child before? I have. It's terrifying. And Mary and Joseph are thinking, we've lost God. We're in big trouble, you know. And uh, so they're looking for him. And, And when Mary finally finds Jesus, we read of this in Luke 2. The Bible says, and when they saw him, they were amazed. And his mother said unto him, now Mary's getting ready to give Jesus the business. How many of you think it would have been hard to raise Jesus as a son? I know he's perfect, but I mean, he would have been right in every case, okay? So here's Mary, and she's wanting to give Jesus the business. Listen to what she's saying to her son. Son. Why hast thou dealt with us? Behold, thy father and I have sought thee sorrowing. Notice she said, thy father and I. He said unto them, how is it that you sought me? Wist ye, or don't you know, that I must be about my father's business? Jesus wasn't copying an attitude. He wasn't being rude. He wasn't being unkind. But he said, Mom, you need to know something. I respect Joseph. He's occupying a role of honor in my life. And I will give him that respect. But you all need to know something. You you can say mother and father. But I have a father. And I'm doing his business. God is my father. The Bible goes to great lengths. Luke here. Matthew. uh, Give us these records because it's of great importance now you could say okay so jesus was born of a virgin what difference would that make to my lives let me let me encourage you with this when i consider all of the problems that i face in my life i'm glad to know there's a god who keeps his word and a god that can do anything a god that can do the impossible in matthew 19 and verse 26 the bible says but jesus beheld them and said unto them with men this is impossible But with God, all things are possible. What I'm trying to do by reading all these verses to you is to tell you, when the word of God was just getting started, God said, I'm coming, and I'm going to be born of a virgin. You read the Old Testament, the prophet said, he's coming, he'll be born of a virgin. You get in the New Testament, and Jesus was born, and it's recorded, he was born of a virgin, and Jesus lived his life saying, God's my father, and I am God the son. God, he gave us his word, and he kept his word, and he teaches us that he can do the impossible oh friends we're oftentimes going to say you know that sounds impossible to me even we could say that of something like the virgin birth i love the fact that jesus gets in the middle of that word impossible and he separates the first letters and we'll say that's impossible and jesus will push those first two letters aside and say no i'm possible there's nothing i can't do and if i give you my word on it you mark it down it's going to happen i'm telling you because jesus is god the son because of the means of his birth you can read the bible and every time you come across a promise from god you can be reminded god keeps his word the longest standing promise we have from god has been fulfilled in the person of jesus peter stoner was the co-founder of the american scientific affiliation and As I read his biography, he served as the chairman of mathematics and astronomy uh, for Pasadena and Westmont College, and and he was a believer. And he wanted to write a book that kind of looked at some of the prophecies of Jesus in relationship to science and mathematics, and 
And so he looked at 60 of the prophecies in the Old Testament that were fulfilled in the New Testament. And uh, most of you know the Old Testament was written long before Jesus was born, and then uh, Jesus arrived. And so there were these prophecies that told us things about Jesus. And so he's looking at 60 prophecies. He's like, this is too much, too much data, no can do. He boiled it down to eight. He said, I'm just going to study these eight prophecies and to see how they came to fruition in the life of Jesus Christ. So he applied the laws of mathematics to see how probable is all this. I know it was prophesied here, and we read that it happened there. And uh, he said that the likelihood of just eight, just eight of the prophecies of Jesus in the Old Testament coming to fruition in the New Testament was one to 1,017. I mean, that's a one with 17 zeros behind it. In other words, uh, the chance of it being coincidental that everything the Old Testament said being fulfilled in Jesus, where he was from, where he was born, who his family was, who his tribe was, what the genealogy was, all of those things. He said, not coincidence. Uh, uh, The laws of mathematics would say it'd be one with 17 zeros behind it in terms of likelihood. He went on to give an analogy of what that means, and sometimes word pictures help me more than great big numbers. He said, look at it this way. Imagine the state of Texas. How many of you have been to Texas? It's big. Texas is big. He said, imagine Texas and you fill it two feet deep with silver dollars. All of Texas. Two feet deep with silver dollars. You, you put, this is how he said it, a black check mark on one of the silver dollars. You have it thrown somewhere in Texas. You stir the state up real good. Then you blindfold somebody and you, you just kind of lead them out into Texas somewhere and you let them bend down and pick up one silver dollar. He said the odds of them picking up the one silver dollar is greater than those eight prophecies being fulfilled in Jesus Christ. And friends, I'm saying today, if God keeps his word on the big things like the city of Mary and Joseph's origin and the city of the birth of Jesus and the tribe issues and the family and and more, we can rest assured that he can care for us. In Matthew 6, Jesus said, behold, the fowls of the air, for they sow not, neither do they reap, nor gather into barns, yet your heavenly father feedeth them. And are you not much better than they? Jesus said, listen, look at those birds. They're not stressed out. Uh, They they know that God has put in nature a pattern that will provide for them, but you're better than birds, and God loves you, and God can care for you and meet your needs, and friends, I'm glad to tell you that Jesus, of necessity to be God the Son, he had to be born of a virgin, and when you believe that, you realize God always keeps his word. Here's the second lesson we glean from this truth. God can use anyone in his plans. Now listen, maybe you're here today and you're being kind to tolerate what it is I'm saying to you, but in your heart you're thinking, you know, I kind of have a hard problem with this whole virgin birth thing. And uh, to you I would say, don't sweat it. Because Mary kind of had a big problem with it too. (laughs) And she's like, wait, what? I'm sorry? Come again? What are are you saying exactly? In fact, when Mary heard about what was going to happen to her in Luke 1, she said this, how shall this be, seeing I know not a man? Now, I don't think it's right for us to be questioning of God, but we have a God that doesn't mind questions. And Mary, even from a heart of faith, said, wait, uh, I'm not sure how this is going to happen. I'm missing something here. Mary was from an insignificant place. Nothing about her would have looked vastly different from those around her. Yet, yes, she was morally pure and she had great faith. But I'm saying today, had we been assigned by God to find the one through whom the Messiah, Jesus Christ, would be born, I think we would have started in Jerusalem. 
probably with a more influential and affluent family, maybe someone with, with more education in their background. But God looked at Mary, an obscure person, and God said, you know, I can use anyone in my plans. And, and God said, Mary, I've got plans for you. And friends, I'm telling you today that if God can use someone like Mary as she responded in faith to the will of God, then God can use you. Uh, I want you to know, I took a personality test this week and I failed it. There were seven different kinds of personalities in this test you could be in, and, and there's one I didn't want to be. That was one I ended up being, and, and it read a little bit different, but, but I went through, and what, what it said basically on my personality is, you're, you're a weird guy, and, and uh, you're not going to do much in life, and it said, fear holds you back, and you're afraid to be in front of people. It went on and on and on, and what it said was kind of mostly true. I hate to admit it, um, but I got to thinking about that. You know, everything my personality says I should be doing in life, I'm not doing. I'm doing the opposite. People that are the kind of personality that I read about myself, they don't leave a state and drive 2,200 miles to come to a city where they've never met one person to start a church. People like me don't take their life savings and sell one of their cars to use that money to start a church. People like me don't study and get up every week and stand up in front of people and do their very best to teach them and preach to them the word of God. I'm here to tell you today that it's not me at all. I've just learned that there's a God who can use anybody to do anything if like Mary will have a heart that says, God, if that's what you want me to do, that's then what I will do. I love Mary's response here. In Luke 1 and verse 38, uh, Mary said this, Behold the handmaid of the Lord. Hear what she said. Be it unto me according to thy word. And the angel departed from her. You know Mary's mindset? God, whatever your word is for me, that's what I'm going to do. That, that's like us saying, God, whatever's in your word, I'm going to do that. That's what I'm going to do because I believe you. That, that was her premise. God, whatever you have for me, whatever your will for my life is, and that starts with your revealed will, we'd have to say, God, whatever I find in the Bible, I'm just going to live that out. You're not going to get an argument from me. I just want to do what you would have me to do. That's the heart through which God works. He's not looking for our pedigree, our credentials, our resume. He's looking for a heart that'll say, God, listen, uh, I, I don't know how this thing's going to be, but I know this, whatever your word says, that's what I want to do. I want to serve you. Paul in Ephesians 2 said this. He said, For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus unto good works, which God hath before ordained that we should walk in them. So we are his workmanship. In other words, God's worked to make us. We're, we're the result of the creative work of God. And then the Bible says that uh, we're his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus unto good works. What a joy it is to know. That is, we recognize, hey, I'm the created, he's the creator, he's the leader, I'm to follow his lead, that we then get to live a life where that good work he's done in us gets to be a good work he then does through us. And it's a joy to know that we're participating in life and the greatest work that can ever be done, that is the work of God. God can use anyone in his plans. And that leads to the final thought that I'll share with you this morning. I want us to see that because of the virgin birth of Jesus Christ, God can save anybody anyone from their sins i received a call uh, recently to go visit someone and uh i said sure yeah i'd be happy to to stop by and have a talk and i, I knew the topic of conversation would be jesus god the gospel however you want to put it and uh it was kind of a setup both ways but i knew why i was going there and the person on the other end knew why i was coming there we got it all figured out and and I walked into this home and sat down, beautiful, uh, beautiful home, beautiful living room, and, 
and uh, the pleasantries, the niceties, the, you know, the coffee, all that, and th- that was all done, and uh, it was time. We both knew what was happening, and uh, so uh, I took out of my pocket a, a New Testament copy of God's Word, and I, I did my very best to clearly, clearly share the gospel of Jesus Christ. And uh, I did my best to share verses, to illustrate, to use even personal stories uh, uh, in my life. And, and I went right through from the Bible, you know. Uh, uh, there's none righteous, no, not one. We all fall short. The wages of sin is death, but God loved us. And whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be. I mean, I, mean, I, went, I went through those verses and, and others, and I did my, my best to share the gospel message. And when I got done, there was a sense, there was a sense, not an arrogant sense. You'll just have to trust me on that. There was a sense of, I did it. I mean, I did it. I shared the gospel. He, he, he couldn't say, really, um, what do you mean by that? Because it was, it was clear. But what he asked me was a little bit of a surprise. I did the best I could to clearly share the gospel message. And when I was done, he said, do you really believe that? And it wasn't, it wasn't like a derogatory slam on me. You know, it wasn't like he was saying, wow, you're a simpleton. You're such an idiot. I can't believe you believe that. That's not what he was saying. It was, it was almost like a plea. Like, really? I mean, I'd love to believe in something like that. I'd love to believe in Santa. I can't. And, and I'd love to believe in Jesus. I'd, I'd love to go there. I just, how can you believe that? I was a little bit taken back because I'd, I'd done my best to share the word of God. And I guess if you don't believe in God, that's going to have an impact on the way you view the word of God. Yet I believe in the power of the word, that it can, it can do a great work in our lives. And so I shared some more verses. And then and I finally said, listen, I just want you to know that I believe that Jesus is God the Son, that he came to provide our salvation, that he was born, he lived a perfect life, he was crucified, he was buried. Three days later, he rose again. But I said, listen, I want to move on from there. I want you to know that his followers, they didn't just see him alive. John told us they handled him. This wasn't a fable to them. They were eyewitnesses. And by the way, they gave their lives because of their belief in that. You might find one uh, person who died to cover up a lie, but you're not going to find not just the original followers of Jesus in addition to the over 500 who saw him at one time and the thousands of others that saw him in the course of the 40 days he was alive on this planet. And you see the influence of those people who weren't believing a myth. They were personal eyewitnesses. They told their story to others who had credibility and, and, and they would receive it and share it with others. And in the span of, of, of 250, 300 years, of the entire world, is is overwhelmingly committed to being followers of Jesus Christ in that time. I said, listen, you ask me, how is it I can believe something like this? It's because Jesus Christ is God the Son. He called a shot and he proved it when he rose again from the dead. And we could say that all of Christianity hinges on the resurrection. But if Jesus wasn't born of a virgin, his death would have no value for us, practically speaking. The Bible tells us in Hebrews chapter 9 how much more shall the blood of Christ who through the eternal spirit offered himself without spot to God purge your conscience from dead works to serve the living God. The Bible here speaks of the blood of Christ and the value of the blood of Christ. You see, if the blood of Jesus that flowed from his veins that day as he died on the cross, if that were just the blood of another man who'd been born as we all uh, have been, it would not have been sufficient to pay the sin debt of the world. But, but we know that Jesus' blood was different. 
You see, that's why Jesus, while talking to a guy named Nicodemus, could give us those famous and familiar words in John 3.16. He said, Nicodemus, God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have everlasting life. Christmas is for everybody. Salvation is extended to everybody. Jesus said, whosoever, we're all included in that. And it's because of the virgin birth of Jesus Christ. The writer of Hebrews in Hebrews 9 verse 22 said and almost all things are by the law purged with blood and without the shedding of blood is no remission and without the life and death of Jesus and the shedding of his blood we would all be under a spiritual death sentence but Jesus Christ whose father was God making him God the son shed his blood for us Again, the writer of Hebrews wrote these words, How much more shall the blood of Christ, who through the eternal Spirit offered himself without spot to, to God, to uh, purge your conscience from dead works to serve the living God? Biologically speaking, we know the predominant bloodline comes from the Father, and it was not the blood of Joseph that flowed through the veins of Jesus Christ. He was the Lamb of God, as the Bible says. He was without spot, and for that reason... The Bible says we could be purged of our sins, totally forgiven, and given a home in heaven when we die and find a purpose in life that transcends all others. I was reading a publication, I believe it was called In Other Words, In Other Words, and it told the story of two sisters, Anissa and Marissa, their last name was Ayala, and the story was them doing well, living life, but the story kind of went back to the beginning of their problem, and and it began with the older sister, Anissa. She was 16 years old and had been battling leukemia. And the, the doctors did all they knew to do. And the family was told if she doesn't get a bone marrow transplant, she's not going to make it. And, and the family did what we all would do. They began to test for people that were a match. And neither, neither the parents were a match. There was one brother at that time. He was not a match. And uh, they, they did everything. No matches were found. And, and the parents of Anissa at that time... Uh, made a decision, being in their, in their mid-40s, that uh, was an amazing decision. They said, let's have another child. And they had another child, and, and that's where the sister Marissa came in. When Marissa was 14 months old, they determined that she was a suitable match for her sister, and they underwent the procedure to procure the bone marrow so that uh, Anissa could could be saved and, and that's exactly what happened and the story was them on the other end with health and vitality and, and how they were doing and in a very real sense Marissa saved her sister's life she said it this way she said without me being a perfect match for my sister she would not be here now friends Jesus was born into this world for the express purpose of providing the payment for our salvation no other match would have done other than the blood of Jesus Christ God the son and Christmas marks the season where we celebrate his birth and without Jesus there would be no salvation you see the means of his arrival it seems so strange to us I mean only God would have would have come up with a plan like this yet he told us how it would be he reminded us how it would be he did it now he tells us as we look back what it is that happened and when we understand who Jesus is and it's 
It's so because of the virgin birth, we then can understand that we've got a God who who keeps His Word and He can do the impossible. I mean, when you understand who Jesus is, you're going to read the Word with, with a new awareness because you're reading promises from a God who's never one time let anybody down. He keeps His Word. And you're going to be encouraged on the inside to know that God can use anybody. I mean, no disrespect to Mary. Uh, she was pure and a woman of faith and yielded her life to God, but she was nobody special, if you know what I mean. She was from a place in their country where people literally said nothing good comes from there. And yet that's where she came from. And I'm glad to tell you that when we believe how, how the Christmas story worked, we've got to conclude, man, God can use anybody, even me. And friends, I want you to know that when you understand that the blood of Jesus was the blood of God, you then can realize that we all can be saved of our sins. Jesus wasn't dying to pay for his own sins. He never one time sinned. He was dying to provide the payment for our sins. And that's why a proper theological understanding of the doctrine of the virgin birth at Christmas time is of the utmost importance in our hearts and in our minds. Our Father, we're thankful today to know that we can look to the most ancient of texts in your word and find the promise of your coming and clues and insights and prophecies into the means of your coming. Lord, we're thankful for the prophets like Isaiah and Micah 